Well, hello and welcome to the lacrosse mayoral debate from WIZM Radio. My name is Anthony Tregoski, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science and Public Administration at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. I'm pleased to be the moderator for tonight's debate. Today, we're joined by the two candidates in the race for mayor of lacrosse, Mitch Reynolds and Vicki Markison. I would like to thank both candidates for participating in this debate. In the February primary election, Mitch Reynolds and Vicki Markison finished in the top two in terms of votes out of a field of 10 candidates. This means that Mitch and Vicki will go head-to-head -head in the April election for mayor of lacrosse. Also participating in this debate are journalists from WIZM Radio. I'm joined by WIZM's Scott Robert Shaw, Brad Williams, Caitlin Riley, and Rick Solom. Before we get started, I'd like to discuss the rules and format of this debate. The most important rule is that the candidates should not interrupt one another. I'll allow up to two minutes each for responses. I also know that everyone will do their part to make this a civil and informative debate. Campaigns can get intense, and we all want to learn about the areas of agreement and disagreement between Mitch and Vicki. At the end of the day, though, I want to express my sincere admiration and appreciation for both candidates. Both of you have participated in a remarkable number of events, and both of you clearly have a passion for the city of La Crosse. Thank you both for running for office, and thank you both for your passion for local government, and thank you both for running such vigorous and energetic campaigns. Whatever our differences, we should all recognize that Vicki and Mitch have made major sacrifices to be in this race. With that being said, I'm excited for a lively, informative, and civil discussion tonight. I'm happy to, be to begin with opening statements. I can give each candidate two minutes, and we'll start with Mitch Reynolds. Well, thanks, Anthony, and thanks certainly to all of our panel, um, Caitlin, Brad, and Scott, and Rick, and to Midwest Family Broadcasting for having us here uh, tonight. And uh, thanks as well to Vicki for, for being here as well. It's such an honor to be a part of this uh, debate and other forums just like it and to share uh, my ideas for the future of the city of La Crosse. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be uh, able to have the opportunity to serve the city of La Crosse as mayor and um, looking forward to that possibility. I really believe that uh, sharing my values of putting people first within the city of La Crosse has some resonance. Um, I believe in pursuing the cause of social, racial, environmental, and economic justice in our city and giving everyone here in our city the same types of opportunities uh, that I've had while uh, growing and raising a family in the city of La Crosse. I appreciate the time tonight, and I, again, I appreciate everyone being here and certainly everyone out there who's listening and taking part and, and, um, and wanting to, to be a part of the decision-making to who choose who will be the next mayor of the city of La Crosse. Thank you so much, Mitch. Vicki, over to you. Yes, thank you all at Midwest Family Broadcasting for this opportunity. It's, it's interesting to come into the area that Mitch has worked here for 16 years. And uh, jokingly, I say I've heard of the Mitch signs in the hallway, so hopefully there wasn't too much cleaning up that had to happen as I stepped in the doors. And, and of course, uh, pretty, pretty um, uh, interesting passive story of helping promote today's event. But, but I am looking forward to speaking to the listeners. Of course, we have the video component here as well of WISM. 
I think that some of the reasons that I am running will resonate. Obviously, I have 20 years of experience being out there in the community, not just working, but also volunteering. Uh, many of the organizations that I have been listening to over the years, I have incorporated into my platform. And so the three things that I think will really resonate with the WISM listeners are property taxes, rebooting our economy, and of course, keeping our area safe. So thank you very much for this opportunity to get our message out there, and I look forward to this debate. And thank you so much, Vicki. Now I'm pleased to go over to WISM's Brad Williams for a question. We'll start with Mitch. Good evening, Mitch and Vicki. And uh, this election coming in April will bring big changes to City Hall in La Crosse, the first new mayor in eight years, and several members of the City Council are leaving, and uh, there will be new faces on the Council as well. With that change, there might be, of course, other changes that you would like to bring to how the city is run. Uh, what would you identify as one high priority for you in the way that everyday government is uh, run in La Crosse? Well, the way the government operates within the city of La Crosse is designed such that um, it, there, there's efficiency, there's accountability, and that there are measurables that department heads have to meet in order to, um, in, in order to be evaluated uh, well uh, by, uh, by the mayor. And so I'd like to keep that process in place. Um, you know, the important part about a, a city that uh, is changing over with, as Brad, as you mentioned, with a new mayor and, and much of the city council that will be leaving as, of course, the, none less so than the city council president, Martin Gall, the biggest obstacles there are just, uh, you know, making certain that we're operating government smoothly. And uh, I've said before, you know, there's, there's going to be some mistakes there. There's going to be some situations where we have to listen to the professionals in the room and, and go to them for advice on the, the best route forward. And so I think the most important part about uh, this transition is making sure that we're listening to those who are, um, know what they're doing and uh, can help uh, that transition move, um, move in a smooth way forward. Thank you so much, Mitch. Vicki, over to you. I've had several transitions and meeting new teams, and that is the number one. People want to know who their leader is. You need to hold meet and greets. You need to listen to the voices of all the people that work at City Hall, really building that team, incorporating the structure for how they can provide feedback. I'm a big believer in innovation happens at the point that people are interacting with the public. So making sure that we have a great system in place that empowers our city employees, that they can make an even greater difference of being more efficient and effective for our, for our taxpayers. Of course, we need to be meeting with department heads. We have positions that need to get filled, and they really need to know their leader as well and how we're going to um, hold them accountable. Most importantly, is, uh, we also need to be working with the new city council members. They need to get oriented. Everyone, including the mayor, uh, needs to learn from those who are continuing, and this is how we will understand each other better in terms of what drives us, uh, why we all ran, what is important that we deliver back to the citizens of La Crosse, and I look forward to having those conversations. Thanks so much, Vicki. Now I'm pleased to go over to Wisdom News' Caitlin Riley, a question that we will start with Vicki for this one. The community has been surveyed about establishing a law enforcement advisory or oversight board. Do you support an establishment of such a board? And if so, how would it function for our community? And also, should law enforcement be involved in that process? 
I believe strongly that we need to listen to voices. We need to improve processes. I think that is the driver of this oversight board. There are individuals that feel they need better input into improving our police department. I've talked to Chief Kudron. He welcomes that input. Unfortunately, we have state statutes that require we have a uh, police and fire commission that oversees our police department. I'm, I am supportive of that feedback coming into that system, and we figure out how that feedback coming into the county would get incorporated into the city and the police and fire commission. So I support the feedback. So does Chief Kudron. Look forward to hearing more. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch, go ahead. Well, thanks, Caitlin, for the question. I think a police uh, advisory uh, committee or whatever the recommendation that comes out of the Criminal Justice Management Council for La Crosse County should be taken seriously. I mean, these at, at, these, at this point, these are all suggestions, and uh, they're coming from, at this point, a, a, sub, a subcommittee is studying the situation, and then we'll make recommendations to the Criminal Justice Management Council, who will then make a, a decision about how to move forward. Again, another recommendation. I think it's not... Um, it's not unusual, nor uh, should it be distasteful in any way to expect that there be more uh, oversight or more uh, another advisory body for police throughout the county. I think that, uh, from my understanding, it's somewhat difficult. If there is a complaint, on those, those occasions when there is a complaint against police, it's, it's onerous to uh, file that complaint with the Police and Fire Commission. I don't think a police advisory committee would necessarily take away the, well, can't take away the duties of police and fire commission. And I think having, like I said before, an ombudsman of sorts to see these complaints through a process is, is uh, something that I would definitely uh, like to look at and see what those recommendations are. Thank you, Mitch. Now I'm going to send it over to Rick Solem for our next question, and we'll start with Mitch. All right, this is a COVID-related question, and it comes from La Crosse County Board Chair Monica Cruz. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. With La Crosse City and County poised to receive nearly $50 million in COVID stimulus money in the near future, do you have a vision as to how the city and the county might collaborate to create legacy projects with some or all of that money that will, go, will have a long-lasting benefits to the entire area? I don't have any, I'm sorry, is it me first? Okay, sorry. Uh, I don't have any preconceived notions about how we should progress with that at this point. I think that, uh, you know, we're just getting used to the understanding of what that, uh, that COVID stimulus money will be used for, um, $22 million coming to La Crosse. Uh, I think that there are certainly things that I would like to achieve within the city of La Crosse, uh, but the key is to make certain that we're sitting down with our county board leaders and having those conversations, sitting down with our county administrator and having that conversation, understanding what our communities need to uh, move forward and recover from the pandemic and the recession. And, you know, welcome to all input from all the community to find out what those needs are and how we can best fulfill those needs. But again, at this point, I don't have any preconceived notions about what that would be. I, you know, I know that our the Wisconsin or the La Crosse City uh, share of that stimulus funding will go a long way towards reopening, uh, reestablishing hours at our libraries, for instance, and filling other budget holes. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki. I have a plan. It is we need to keep the lights on. So this is an economic stimulus plan. It's meant to stimulate our economy. That's one of the reasons that one of the platforms that I am running on. We need to keep the lights on for our residents. We have an eviction moratorium that is ending. We have to make sure we're not adding to homelessness. That is critical. We have businesses struggling to keep the lights on. Our small local businesses 
Just our food and beverage and our accommodations have lost $70 million. That was just through November. We have to be keeping the lights on for our residents and for our businesses. There are only certain things that the stimulus money will pay for, and so we, we have to be careful with what those legacy projects are because there are limitations to it. But I am interested in having a conversation with our county as to how we can leverage their dollars and our dollars, keeping in mind these are going to come in two payments. Um, but I am interested in that collaboration. Thanks so much, Vicki. Now we head over to Scott Robert Shaw, a question for Vicki. Thank you for participating. Uh, one of the complaints from Mayor Cabot and his predecessors is that the city's hands are largely tied when it comes to raising revenue. We are extremely reliant on the property tax as a way to pay for city services. The state legislature is debating allowing cities and counties to increase their sales tax as a way to reduce reliance on the property tax. Do you believe the, that La Crosse should increase the sales tax if allowed to do so by the state? I believe that the sales tax is an intriguing component. We've, we've talked about other taxes in this city in the past. They've had problems, whether it was putting too much burden on those that are vulnerable or it was putting small businesses against large businesses. This, the additional sales tax at the local level is very intriguing because everyone pays it equally. So I would be very interested in talking to some of the, uh, there, there are some entities that will struggle with a small percentage of sales tax increase. So I am interested in talking to those entities to see if a local sales tax would be favorable and how to do it properly. Thanks so much, Vicki. Mitch, go ahead. Uh, Scott, thanks for the question. I'm adamantly, in general, adamantly opposed to sales tax increases uh, because they tend to be regressive and impact those who can least afford them the most. Uh, generally speaking, now there are, you can carve out exemptions certainly for uh, in addition, additionally to what we already have in place in the state of Wisconsin, and I would definitely look at that to see whether that would be something that we would embrace. But in general, regressive taxes are not something that I would uh, that I would welcome. Our uh, movement away from property taxes. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, property taxes uh, tend to be uh, higher within uh, the city of La Crosse and surrounding areas, uh, and that has to do with the, uh, with the uh, overall property valuations within the city of La Crosse. Uh, we can work on that and increase the, um, the uh, value and the, the uh, quality of our housing to increase the overall valuation of the city to uh, increase our property tax revenue, yet decrease the burden of services that those who can least afford it pay. But in general, I'd be opposed to sales taxes uh, unless there were specific exemptions carved out. Thanks so much, Mitch. Uh, Vicki, I'd actually like to come back to you on this because mm -hmm. this does seem to be an area of disagreement between the two of you. Would you care to respond to Mitch? I think that there are fewer there are fewer opportunities for the city of La Crosse to raise revenue. That is a fact. Property tax faces a very large burden. Keeping property taxes low is obviously the one of my platform areas. So if we can find other ways to raise money, that I'm in support of it. I also know um, this, that this area has supported other forms of taxation, so I believe that they would be favorable to a sales tax, a general sales tax. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch, I could give you the last word. Again, I think that uh, we have looked at in the past in several fees diversifying our revenue stream in the city of La Crosse to incorporate fees, and those fees have 
increased and gone up over the years. Um, in fact, one of the reasons why the budget hole in the city of La Crosse was so large was that uh, so much of the property tax revenue was uh, diversified and that revenue was coming from fees instead. Those fees go way down in a recession, which means that we had a $4.5 million budget hole for the city of La Crosse. So again, in general, I'm not in favor of a sales tax because in mostly they, they tend to be regressive. Thank you, Mitch. Now we head to Brad Williams, a question for Mitch. Residents of La Crosse have said no over the years to a new road through the marsh, yet the project continues to have funding set aside by the Wisconsin DOT for the possibility of such a road in the future. The experts tell us that there may still be a demand for more highways in the near future. Do you believe La Crosse should have a new north-south corridor? And if it's needed, if it's demanded, what would be the best route for such a road? Hi, Brett. Thanks for the uh, question again. And I just I hate to uh, split hairs here, but funding has not been set aside. It's an intermuneration process. Funding would have to come at a different time. It's simply a placeholder. Uh, so um, as long as that placeholder is there, there's always a possibility of a north-south corridor running through La Crosse and dividing our neighborhoods further. I'm absolutely not in favor of having additional concrete lanes through our neighborhoods, through our marsh, in any kind of way to facilitate the movement uh, quick and easy movement in and out of our city by uh, commuters who want to get quickly in and out from their workplace. It does not help our city. I'm focused on helping our neighborhoods and the people who live in our neighborhoods. It does not do the people in our, our neighborhoods any good. It does not do our neighborhoods any good. It does not do the health of our city or our community any good to com uh, add additional concrete lanes and a superhighway through the city of La Crosse. And frankly, it doesn't matter where it goes. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki, over to you. No, I do not support a road through the marsh. I've said that probably five times now at least. The issue with enumeration that someone raised to me is it has a very specific pathway in the wording that honestly probably strikes it down. It says that it needs to connect I-90 to 7th Street. So I am looking at whether that is enough reasoning to strike it down. The city council has asked that this be removed from the DOT. If they vote again with the new council, that is something as mayor that I would pursue. I think we have to keep in mind, though, the roads are not just a commuter system for our friends and neighbors that are living in outlying areas. They transport our tourists to downtown. They get ambulances to hospitals. They get our lacrosse-made goods out into the world and the, the goods that we need to live into our community. We have to be making sure that we are addressing those needs or we're not making sure that our community can thrive. Thank you, Vicki. Now we head over to Caitlin Riley. A question for Vicki. Well, the city of La Crosse is known for its ratio of bars to residents. How can we discourage or cut down on binge drinking in the city and any of those negative consequences without also damaging those businesses who have already been ravaged by the pandemic? There is a uh, group out of, I believe, the Health Science Consortium that has been working on binge drinking. It, is ob it obviously has health concerns, um, having alternatives. And I know this from working with our young professionals. Our young professionals want more places to have um, places where obviously binge drinking isn't happening. It, is, it caters to our young professionals. I think some of our businesses, if we can convince them to cater to that young professional group, there's tremendous opportunity to 
change how we drink in this community. So I think there's conversations to connect our, our healthy young professionals that are looking for opportunities uh, to create more attractions for that young professional to our area and uh, to reduce binge drinking using some of those partnerships. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch, over to you. I think that it is uh, oversimplified to um, bring in the conversation of bars and restaurants into the conversation of binge drinking. Binge drinking is ex exists far beyond just bars and restaurants. Binge drinking occurs within homes. It occurs among uh, families. It's, uh, it can impact young people and old people alike. It unfortunately is a it is an unfortunate part of our, in some ways, in our culture in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, we are, um, many communities throughout the state are known for their excessive levels of drinking. Uh, I think that uh, education, obviously, that, that has been going on for many years within the city of La Crosse, has had an impact, hopefully will continue to have an impact. Having the number of uh, young college students in our community certainly is a challenge to that. But let's remember that uh, we don't need to target our bars and restaurants when we're talking about binge drinking. By and large, these are establishments that follow the rules and are doing business within our city and providing a service. We need to think about binge drinking in a more holistic way and think how we can solve that as a community and a culture. Thank you, Mitch. Let's head over to Rick Solom. A question for Mitch. All right. Careful here. I'm going to ramble for a second. Uh, do you think city government needs to be not just more accessible because maybe it's pretty accessible, but perhaps make it a little bit more understandable, relatable? I'm not talking about a civics lesson, but perhaps a better way to relate the things that go through the city committees, the councils, the boards. Some of that wording, say, on the council agenda is kind of odd. Uh, other times it's vague. You, you have to go through a plethora of PDFs to find stuff. Um, is there a way to maybe make, make city government uh, a, a layman's term, so to speak? Uh, does that make sense? <laughs> okay, is that me? I lost track. Uh, yeah, no, Mitch, okay, can we great. cut down on the PDFs here? Yeah, can we just cut down on the PDFs? The, the, I mean, the use of the website, the city website, is just, it's, it's awful. It is. The, the, you have to download a PDF to see what's going on an agenda. I'm a strong advocate for uh, reaching out and for making sure that, uh, you know, the mayor's leading the way, first of all, in making, getting information out to, to people, not just, in, there shouldn't be a passive process where you might have something that might impact your neighborhood and then because that might be something then you have to go find a committee that it, that it comes in front of and then figure out where that committee goes to and we can't necessarily always rely on our local media to tell us all give us the whole story i mean a really good idea would have to be a, a nightly program on a on a local radio station uh because that tends to really fit the bill but uh but otherwise i think reaching out and making sure that that information is accessible rebuilding the website frankly so that it's we can you can go to every meeting as they're occurring and watch it uh, as it comes back but also be able to look at the agendas and know in plain language what's happening thanks so much mitch uh, vicky over to you I've been that person walking into City Hall, not knowing what form you have to fill out to speak, what to expect when you speak. It's just not user-friendly, and, and it begins with FAQs. If you want to speak out on an issue, this is what you do. But more importantly, I've also been the mechanism to better communicate out some of the projects. So when the Lacrosse Center was happening, there was so much misinformation happening that at the chamber we built our own website to explain the Lacrosse Center. We had city council members calling and thanking us because there was information on our website and history that 
they did not have from anywhere other than what we created at the Chamber of Commerce. So it needs to be, the, there needs to be much better emphasis on the projects we know the citizens particularly are going to care about. And I believe that I have demonstrated this in the past and look forward to bringing those skill sets into City Hall. Thanks so much. Let's head over to Scott Robert Shaw, a question for Vicki. Thank you. Let's talk about uh, parking for a minute. Uh, whether complaints of not enough parking in the city or the city doesn't need all these ramps or going back and forth on alternate side parking rules, it seems that the city of La Crosse has struggled to develop clear and consistent policies on parking. As mayor, how would you address that? I had a really interesting meeting with the UW, with UWL Student Senate, and we were talking about parking um, because, as many of you know, there were parking changes that happened. The students were very upset. In short, uh, I asked them all, how many of you have cars? And every single visible person raised their hands. We have been living in the world that parking is, that people aren't going to need cars, that uh, parking is going to be reduced. That's not happening. We, we, of course, have to understand people will be choosing cars. They will be using cars to get downtown. We cannot put our small businesses at a disadvantage to other areas where people can just pull up. Parking, parking ramps, um, alternate side of the street parking, providing parking for individuals that live in our community is a hot topic and it needs to um, always be discussed listening to all voices. Thanks so much, Vicki. Mitch, go ahead. Well, first of all, I don't believe there can be a prescriptive uh, solution to parking in all areas of the city. Each neighborhood and each street, and whether you be downtown or no matter where you're at, there has to be a solution that fits that area. And you have to be considerate of the neighbors and those who utilize the parking and uh, make sure that all the solutions uh, fit their needs as well. So that's the first thing. The other thing is I believe in a different future. I believe that we can actually find a way to separate from our cars to a certain extent. I believe that we don't have to invest millions and millions of dollars on parking ramps in our downtown and take the place of other needed construction within our city. I do believe that we can develop our mass transit so that more people will use it. It becomes more usable, becomes uh, to the point where it becomes uh, friendly for use for our, our professionals as, as well as uh, those who have to use mass transit for no other reason. I believe that we can add to our biking infrastructure so more people can get around on bicycles. So that's the future that I believe in. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about to give in to the idea that we're going to be stuck with our, in, in our cars individually forever. Vicki, I'd like to come back to you on that. What is your response to the vision that Mitch is presenting? I think we've had that vision for the last 20 years. And so we need to understand that, that it's going to take the cost exceeding the convenience for people to not choose their cars anymore. And, and that is the reality. We've been talking about alternatives. I support, of course, still uh, trying to encourage alternatives, but it is, not the, it is not the standalone for the future. Mitch, your response. Yeah, absolutely. And the cost uh, decreases when the city foots the bill for new parking ramps. When we spend millions and millions of dollars on new parking ramps, that makes uh, the cost uh, decrease for those who would drive. I believe in a future where we're not building new parking ramps and, um, and people have to make the choices to find alternative means of transportation. Thank you so much. Now we go to Brad Williams, a question for Mitch. I want to return to the subject of large capital projects, uh, which was mentioned a moment ago with the La Crosse Center. There are a few of those uh, in the works in La Crosse. One of them, which has been discussed, is the proposal for a future police and fire center or command center, which would be near fire station number one or perhaps replace fire station one at some point. 
at about $30 million. Uh, what is your view on the need for that kind of building, and if it's needed, how should the city sell that kind of project? Yeah, I, uh, this, has been, this is a barely a proposal. This is a, a concept um, that has not been fleshed out. It is barely a proposal. I mean, it, it is, there was a space needs done, uh, study done for the police department not that long ago and found a number of deficiencies. I'd like to address those deficiencies specifically in some areas. Uh, certainly with the fire departments, so we've talked about the need for yeah, just getting getting showers in so that our our female firefighters can have their their own shower. I would like to address those needs. The lacrosse firefighters, uh, in their support of me, were uh, very appreciative of my desire to make sure that their needs are met first before we start building these monuments of uh, new fire stations or uh, expanding the uh, the number of fire stations that we're building or this other. Uh, idea of a uh, 30 plus million dollar uh, multi-station which I don't think we can sell to the community frankly and I wouldn't be willing to do so. Thank you Mitch. Vicki. Yes I also talked to our firefighters. I understand their needs for overall improvements including the the showers. We have female firefighters that are that don't have proper accommodations and after all of these years that needs to get addressed. I think we need to take a look at the scope of some of these projects. I have talked to city council members that have concerns of it started as A, now it's on to C. There are things that got added that not a lot of people understand. So I think it's time to have conversations about this, these large capital uh, expenditures and ensure that they are going to be meeting the immediate and long-term needs in ways that everyone understands and can justify. Thanks so much. We now go to Caitlin Riley, a question for Vicki. It seems that law enforcement have been under increased scrutiny across the nation with communities discussing defunding the police. If elected as mayor, would you choose to specifically increase police funding, maintain current funding, or lower funding that goes to law enforcement? I have come out as saying I support fully funding our police department with accountability measures. I'm aware of the dynamics that have created scrutiny of our police department and I have concerns about the position that my opponent has taken. It, it will pull police officers from our streets and and i will quote he has said i am not going to back away from this i've said before that i don't have a problem reallocating resources from the police department to other sources those other sources would be mental health and addiction and those are departments we do not have in the city of La Crosse. so unless we're going to give it those funds to the county or to nonprofits, we will have some challenges but people are, are pretty clear what reallocation means. That means defunding, that means reducing the amount of officers that go on the streets. The number one expense of our police department is payroll. This is not new car, this will not replace cars. We will have fewer officers in our neighborhoods. For Mike on the north side who lives near a drug house and had bullets flying into his house near, near someone's son, that is a concern, not having as many police officers on the street. So again, I am for fully funding our police officers, for putting training in place, and for holding them accountable to uh, listening to the voices and concerns of our citizens. Thanks so much. Vicki, over to you, Mitch. I'm absolutely in favor of finding ways and uh, uh, welcoming suggestions for reallocation of uh, police funding to other sources. If we can find a way 
to eliminate the causes and the sources of crime before they happen. This is a proactive measures, proactive measures that we can take in our society, in our community, uh, to, re to eliminate crime in, in some ways before it happens. I mean, we all know the root causes of crime in, in communities and its socioeconomic challenges. We need to address those challenges within our neighborhoods. It's no mistake, you know, it's, it's no, uh, it certainly is a, something that we can't ignore that there are many other communities within the uh, state of Wisconsin, comparable size communities that have fewer police per capita than the city of La Crosse does, and yet they have comparable crime rates. In fact, all of them, Janesville, Appleton, Oshkosh, Fond du Lac, all have lower property crime rates than the city of La Crosse, and yet we have 18 officers per 10,000 people, and they have 14 to 15. The U.S. average is 17 or 16. And it's, it's not a matter of having more police on the, on the streets. It's a matter of addressing socioeconomic challenges at the root. And I'm in favor of finding ways to reallocate resources to do that. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not backing away from that. Thanks, Mitch. Vicki, I'd like to come back to you for a response. There's a reason that we have approximately four more officers than other communities. We have a very innovative program, the Neighborhood Resource Officer. That is funded by state funds. The neighborhood associations, which I support, love those officers. It is a face to, to who they are calling. They understand those neighborhoods. That is why we have four more officers in other areas, again, because our police department is innovative. Thanks so much, Vicki. Mitch, I can give you the last word. Absolutely. Other communities have neighborhood resource officers as well. The, the reasons why we have the, um, why we're seeing the uh, calls for more policing is because we need to root out the, the causes of crime in our neighborhoods, the socioeconomic challenges that our people face. I'm in favor of putting people first and addressing those challenges. Thank you, Mitch. Now we head over to Rick Solom. A question for Mitch. All right, with this new Marsh Road, do you support alternate side parking? On no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, though, the, the city wants uh, the city has what is called a, a weak mayor, strong council. I think we've labeled that before in the past, right? I think that's right. Uh, whether that's true or not, is there room for any changes in the boards, committees, councils? Are some of the boards, councils elected or unelected? Are they too powerful? Uh, we're going to get a, you know a half half a new city council, you know, this election cycle. So, do you see any any need for change there? Mitch, go ahead. Uh, I believe that uh, everything should be evaluated on a regular and ongoing basis. I mean, we've gone through a reorganization a couple times in the last 20 years and uh, eliminated a lot of uh, committees that were no longer in use or were no longer needed. We eliminated one of the standing committees in La Crosse City Council not that long ago. We you know, changed the number of city council members to make our government more streamlined. There's been a number of changes that have occurred within City Hall. I'm in favor of looking at that at all times and listening to the voices of the people in the City of La Crosse to make sure their needs are being met. And if their needs are not being met by lack of having a specific city council committee, then we'll take a look at that. I'm in favor of uh, you know, having some um, uh, having more responsive uh, people in City Hall, a position that deals with sustainability or rental rights and homelessness specifically. And I guess if I was looking at a reorganization again, I might look at that. But uh, in terms of boards and committees, I, I think that's a, pro a, a process of constant evaluation. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki, over to you. There is one benefit of having many committees, and that is engagement. You get more people engaged in areas that they are passionate about. But I'm also a believer in 
Sometimes you can shrink and then things start to balloon again. So I would come in as mayor and take a look at the committees that we have, make sure that they are functioning well. Of course, we have several that still need people appointed to them. But there's a really important study that I want to take a look at, and that is the one that caused some of the downsizing. I have heard from some city hall workers that that plan was not fully implemented. And I want to take a look at that plan, make sure that we are using, we, we spent the dollars on that consultant. It's important that we take a look at that plan, make sure that we haven't grown again, and refocus on providing the most efficient and effective ways to represent the voice of people in our community. Thanks so much. Let's head to Scott Robert Shaw, a question for Vicki. Uh, thank you. This has been an issue for many past mayoral candidates and that is the condition of our roads in La Crosse. Uh, potholes are everywhere. Uh, one of the worst roads in the city is La Crosse Street, a state highway, and we're dependent on the state to essentially fix it. We're uh, dependent on their time frame. Uh, meanwhile, we're all busy replacing our shocks, our shocks and struts every time we drive down that road. What role can the mayor play to ensure that our worst roads become priorities for being fixed? The role of the mayor is to work with the Department of Transportation, obviously. I, I remember this conversation from a few years ago when the secretary came, uh, the DOT secretary came, and was not aware of the condition of our lacrosse street, and I had to make that secretary aware. You will not be able to have any conversation in our community without people bringing this up. So it is that advocate to making sure they understand what the um, individuals in our community are valuing. Those state highways are our main thoroughfares. And uh, just as they are struggling with funding, our, our roads are deteriorating and, of course, has wear and tear on our vehicles. But it's also a visual representation of our community. And I've heard that time and time again of how do we get the downtown streets, the, the La Crosse Street, how do we get them to be a better image for our community? The other piece that is important for the mayor is to understand that there are maintenance dollars coming in from the state for these roads, and we have to take a look at how those funds are getting allocated. If we're not getting enough to even maintain them properly, that is definitely a conversation we have to have with the DOT. Thanks so much, Vicki. Mitch, over to you. I'm of the belief, and Scott, you're absolutely right, this question has come up over and over again, and I'm of the belief that it will continue to come up over and over again. The key is prioritization and following through and making sure that whatever road repairs we're doing, we're doing them equitably and that we're not spending uh, uh, city tax uh, dollars unnecessarily when uh, state tax dollars should be coming into fixed roads. The key for uh, that I think in terms of road construction that's important to me is to make sure that we're um, that we're uh, increasing uh, this the city staff required to do that and a lot of we've done a lot of contracting for road repairs and unfortunately that's a cost heavy burden for our citizens we not only there's there's these things called markups and uh, there's markups in labor and there's markups in materials and certainly there's a profit margin that the owner of whatever road construction uh, road construction company has to have as well we don't need we don't have that with our uh, with uh, city workers if we have more city workers like we've had in the past do road repair uh, I would look to um, um, increase the number of city workers that we have doing road construction within the city of La Crosse and make sure we're not contracting more than we necessarily need to do thanks Mitch let's head to Brad Williams a question for Mitch the next mayor will jump head first pretty much into the PIFAs problem which has uh, turned up near the airport and on French Island and uh, people who have had the tainted wells 
have pointed to City Hall and said, this is your problem, you fix it, it's your airport. So how much should the city help on the remedy on its own, and how much should we seek help from Madison and also perhaps from Washington? Great. Well, uh, thanks, Brad. We should seek help wherever we can find it. And I think that one of the re one of the ways that we're doing that currently is uh, less seeking help and more exacting uh, those that are responsible, like the FAA and the manufacturers, to hold them accountable for uh, the requirements, first of all, to use a firefighting foam, but also uh, the chemical manufacturers for understanding what these chemicals were and, um, and perhaps not uh, d um, uh, having that information available to us at all times. Um, I am in favor of trying to cease the use of the, the uh, firefighting chemicals used in this foam as quickly as possible. Uh, we can uh, hopefully uh, fulfill our, um, we can hopefully get a waiver to do that. I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, I'm in favor of testing, as much testing as we need to do to make sure that we know where the contaminants have spread, first of all, and then doing the proper amount of data analysis so that we can figure out the best way to remediate the impacts of the, of the contaminants. That's what we have to do. That's what, that's what many, many communities have done already within the state of Wisconsin and elsewhere throughout the United States. And we're just starting this, and it's going to be a long process, but I'm committed to making sure that we all have clean and safe water. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki, over to you. We have to take care of people first. I have a friend with a four-year-old daughter who chases her around the house making sure that she doesn't drink their water. I've talked, I've, as I've knocked on doors, these are people's grandparents, they are our friends, they are our classmates. We have to get them clean drinking water first and foremost. We also have to be mindful, our firefighters have been working with this foam. We have to make sure that they get taken care of as well. There's a communication issue that is vital. I, I released my, my plan for PFAS last week, and I've already had citizens reaching out saying, I want to meet with you. I will be meeting with the citizens of, the, of Campbell. I will be meeting with the town of Campbell. We have to be transparent in what we are pursuing, what we are learning. We have to learn from them. They know their island better than we do. We have to find those short-term solutions because the long-term is going to be daunting. We are not alone in this. League of Municipalities, uh, Jerry Deshane, who I know at the state organization, they are working on this because other airports are experiencing this. And the more we can glean best practices, the more we can work with other communities to see what they are doing, and the more we can be communicating with the town of Campbell, that's how we're going to get through this together. Thanks so much. Next up is Caitlin Riley with a question for Vicki. With three colleges in town, rentals are an important part of our community, but they do pose their own unique benefits and challenges. If elected as mayor, what are some concerns that you would address when it comes to housing, specifically rentals in the city of La Crosse? Sure. We've made tremendous progress with our rentals. Um, that area between UW La Crosse, Western, Viterbo, there are some significant um, high density, so lots of people. Um, structures that are being built. At the same time, we have buildings that are becoming what I would call tired. We have to uh, incentivize the development, redevelopment of those properties in there so that we can get quality housing. 
we have to be mindful that the number one reason that rent is high in our area is because more than 60% of it is our property tax base. This gets back to keeping, holding the line on our property taxes. We cannot have affordable rent when property taxes are such a large component. So all of uh, the affordability, the high quality, um, increasing the quality of rentals all comes back to property taxes and working together so we can develop high-quality, high-density housing for college students and those needing affordable housing. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch. The reason why rents are high is because of demand. There's 20,000 college students within the city of La Crosse uh, at any given time. Some of them, you know, commute in for certain, but uh, the demand is so high and there's a lack of supply, and because of that, the rents are high. And uh, rents are, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, we have a number of um, property owners, landowners, uh, landlords in the city of La Crosse that take advantage of this situation and uh, have less than quality uh, housing and charge uh, extraordinary amounts of rent. And uh, they can do that simply because of the extraordinary amount of demand, as Caitlin was talking about, from our college students. Uh, we have to focus on uh, developing quality and affordable housing within our community in all of our neighborhoods. The reason why the group Livable Neighborhoods, among the reasons why they've supported me, is because I'm committed to improving all of our neighborhoods and not just uh, you know, paving the way for big developers to put up uh, uh, giant uh, uh, you know, housing complexes for our college students. Uh, we'll continue to do that. We've got means and methods of doing that currently through uh, HUD, uh, HUD dollars, uh, through CDBG uh, loans and grants, and I'd like to continue that process and simply reinvigorate our community through better housing. Thanks so much, Mitch. Let's go to Rick Solom, who has a question for Mitch. All right. The, the lacrosse is a natural beauty. It's part of what draws people to live and, and visit the city. How would you support and maintain our natural areas, the, the bluffs, the river, the, the marsh? Uh, would you just promoting tourism and, and drawing more people here? Would you do anything differently? I think we have had uh, an extraordinary group that's come forward has done amazing things within our community uh, Outdoor Recreation Alliance is just it's phenomenal what they're doing with Understanding that we have these resources in our backyard and really taking advantage of that to promote our community. I mean, one of the ways that I think that we are going to uh, advance um, and, and make our community uh, better and make it more appealing to uh, that uh, ever dwindling workforce of talented, skilled and educated people is to really is to focus on those uh, that that uh, amazing part around the, the bluffs and the rivers and all the trails and everything else that we've got going on here. I am more than excited to be able to work with a group like uh, Outdoor Recreation Alliance and others to help promote that because that is, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous resource for our community and I, I will be one of the biggest advocates for that and if I, if I have to, doggone, if I got to get on a trail every single weekend to do it, well, I'm going to make that sacrifice. We'll hold you to that, Mitch. All right, uh, over to you, Vicki. I'm really glad that my opponent likes the Outdoor Recreation Alliance. It was eight years ago that uh, Ralph Heath and Marvin Wanders approached me saying, we have the opportunity to become a mecca for outdoor recreation. Can you help us brand this area? Um, and, and it was the Outdoor Recreation Alliance of the Seven Rivers region. And I helped them with three conferences that started that organization up because I saw that vision, I agreed with that vision, and I helped them get their founding. Now, they have done a ton with volunteers since then, but I am very proud that, 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 that I helped grow that, that seed from those early days. 
tourism for our natural beauty is an incredible opportunity for us, not just our trails, but our river. People come here, it is a hidden gem, and we cannot afford for this area to be a hidden gem anymore. As when I was with the Chamber of Commerce, we talked about a talent attraction. How do we brand our area better to, uh, to bring these young professionals that we need and the job growth that we need? And so uh, th this is all intertwined. Our natural beauty is, is part of our assets that we need to continue to grow as we move forward. Thanks so much, Vicki. Let's head over to Scott Robert Shaw, who has a question for Vicki. Uh, great progress has been made in La Crosse in securing housing for those who are otherwise homeless, uh, working with landlords to allow those with poor credit to uh, become renters, building new housing specifically for homeless veterans. But the pandemic has caused the problem of homelessness to grow. What can be done to combat the problem of homelessness in the city of La Crosse? The, you hit the nail on the head. The pandemic has changed things, and it, it shut down services. So our homeless problem that has existed has become much more visible because people don't have anywhere to go. And unfortunately, many of us saw that our, my heart just breaks seeing people in, in horrible cold without shelter. The collaboration to end homelessness is a great group of all of the uh, all of the experts, whether it's the Salvation Army, Cooley Cap, uh, the Catholic Charities, YWCA, uh, Independent Living Resources. They are the experts in homelessness. They understand uh, getting people into housing. They understand surrounding them with services. We have to get our, those services back for our individuals so that they can um, obviously get the, the treatment that they need, get the housing that they need. We also, um, it's not just the ones that are living outside. We do have people that are working that are homeless. But I believe in this. I believe that our nonprofits have the expertise. I believe that they have the funding mechanism that makes the most sense. They can pull in federal dollars, they can pull in state dollars, and they can pull in local dollars, including many of us in our charitable gifts. That is how we're going to get through homelessness, is relying on their expertise, saying if they need money for housing, if we need additional services, and we rally around their expertise. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch. One of the key areas that I've talked about repeatedly is the Housing First model. And it's not, um, it's not something that everyone uh, thinks is great, uh, and I understand that, but um, the folks who work at the YWCA and Habitat for Humanity and Cooley Cap and ILR have all talked to me with, about Housing First and agree that it is uh, one of the key aspects of addressing homelessness within our community. Other key aspects certainly are making sure that we have uh, day shelters and crisis shelters and uh, the, the like for instance what the YWCA has just gotten funding for is to develop a, uh, a homeless center for youth. Uh, I think those are tremendous assets to our community. We're going to need all of that. One of the best ways to end chronic homelessness in our community is through Housing First. I've also talked about a need for someone to act as a project manager within City Hall so that that we're all focused and that we're all moving forward and there's accountability for how dollars are spent. I also, you know, the dollars that the YWCA, for instance, gets and then distributes to other agencies, uh, you know, those are, those are matching funds that they need to get. And so I'd like to commit the city to make sure that we understand, our entire city understands it's a community problem. And I would like to find ways where we can find community funding, that is city dollar funding, to help uh, uh, end homelessness or at least deal, deal with it as much as we possibly can and help these agencies 
uh, find ways to, to find shelters for those who lack it. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki, what is your perspective on Mitch's Housing First proposal? I have concerns. Uh, Housing First is already incorporated into the groups that are working on this. I think it's interesting he brought up the YWCA program. Those are, and that is, they receive that funding because those organizations work well together, and particularly, this is the piece that's important, it incorporates the county. So the county has a health and human services department. They have put money towards the homeless issue. We have to include the county in on this. When the city takes on that funding, it puts a strain on our property taxes. And so we have to be mindful that, again, we have to leverage every dollar that we can. And I don't. I believe that that is better held in the nonprofits and the collaboration to end homelessness that was formed. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch, I'll come back to you. I don't believe we should uh, put the burden of healing society's wounds on our nonprofits. I believe these are collective problems and need collective solutions. I believe funding should come from the county and the city. And I do believe that having a project manager within City Hall to make sure that that uh, funding is allocated properly and used properly and is solving actual problems, I believe that's the right way to go. Thank you. Let's head to Brad Williams now. A question for Mitch. Some familiar buildings around the city have come down in recent weeks, and there's concern about uh, preserving others, which have been standing for a long time, such as Fire Station Number 4 up on Gillette Street. What more should the city do to preserve historic buildings? Uh, I think the work that's gone into identifying uh, Fire Station 4 as a historic structure is, is pretty amazing. Oftentimes, these things... You know, they, they, the, the time that it takes to identify something as a historic structure and then go through the process of, um, I, you know, making sure that there's a historic designation on a state level, sometimes you get right up to the wrecking ball before you actually can identify it as a historic structure and then identify places where you can use um, uh, tax credits to refurbish it. I think we can get into a situation where we are um, maintaining our historic structures and and it becomes extraordinarily uh, costly to do so, and sometimes there's not always that money there. I'm not sure about the case of uh, Fire Station 4 just yet. I'd like to look more into that. I've been given a really compelling argument about why to keep it just as it is. I would definitely look at uh, preservation is key for the city of La Crosse, and we see how impactful that can have for the entire city, especially the downtown of La Crosse. And we've certainly seen all the buildings that have been taken down by a wrecking ball, and I certainly would be wel uh, welcoming to anybody who would like to make a case about preserving one of our historic structures. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki. I'm very proud of, um, honestly, I love history. Some people know that about me. So um, I was very happy to research 150-year history of the Chamber of Commerce. And why that matters is history, preserving history is important to me. I, I love old buildings. We choose to live in a 1920s bungalow because of its um, beauty. At some point, and even the Historic Preservation Alliance, uh, they recognize these structures do get too far to restore economically. But I am proud. When I was at the Chamber of Commerce, I went to the state several years advocating for historic uh, tax credits, and it has helped 
save some of our buildings, helped restore some of our buildings downtown. It is a key tool that our city keeps so that we can keep some of these historic structures in place. I think we do need to take a look at um, how we start conversations with the owners of those historic buildings so that they understand the value so that we can at least maintain it um, and not let it fall into disrepair and that we keep those historic tax credits, preservation tax credits, so that the people wanting to restore have um, some incentives to do so. Thank you, Vicki. We have time for one more question, then we'll go to closing statements. Let's head to Caitlin Riley, who has a question for Vicki. Vicki, you and Mitch have presented various ideas this evening, but if you had to choose some defining points that separate yourselves as candidates, what would those be that put you in a different perspective than your opponent? I think there's two. The first one is how we would handle the homelessness. I'm a big believer in leveraging all the dollars that we can get relying on our nonprofits. I know that there's been discussion of, by my opponent of pulling their dollars and, and allocating it out of the city. That doesn't work with HUD, the way HUD funding works. The second one is pretty obvious. It's, it's what uh, was used to draw people into this debate. It is the defunding of our police. I find um, that our police are, are needed in our community. We talk about livable neighborhoods. Keeping them safe is what makes our community livable. People are choosing every day whether or not to live in La Crosse based off of how safe it is. We have to be ensuring that, the, that our police, who are some of the finest in the state, if not the country, that they are being responsive to the concerns of our citizens, that we are using them to be innovative, but we have to keep La Crosse safe, period. Thank you, Vicki. Mitch? I think that it's important to note that um, that my values first reside within those who live in our neighborhoods within the city of La Crosse. That the people of the city of La Crosse are my first priority. Their needs are my first priority. I'm interested in helping those who are the most marginalized and most vulnerable in our society and in our community. I'm interested in finding ways to deal with crime at the very root levels. And that's where those who live in our neighborhoods face some severe socioeconomic challenges. I'm interested in making sure that we're focus focusing on solving social, racial, economic, and environmental injustice issues. I'm not interested in dog whistle politics. I'm not interested in mischaracterization of my opponent. I'm interested in the truth. That's all I got in that one. Thank you, Mitch. Now it's time for closing statements. We will begin with Mitch. Mitch, I can give you up to two minutes for your closing statement. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks again to you and to Midwest Family Broadcasting and to the panelists and to everyone here, including my opponent, I uh, appreciate being a part of this process. It's an honor to be one of the final two remaining candidates. I am, um, it's such a pleasure to have the support of so many within the city of La Crosse and so many of my neighbors and friends and, and uh, individuals that I've never met and maybe never will, who are part of the groups like the La Crosse uh, County Democratic Party, the La Crosse Area Fire, uh, Professional Firefighters, Citizens Action Wisconsin, our Wisconsin Revolution, 
and uh, Wisconsin conservation voters, all of these organizations who are our neighbors, who are lifting up their voices in unison and collectively supporting me because of the values that I have and the ideals that I have and the, 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 the need that I have to make sure that we are addressing all the issues that we need to address and focusing all of our efforts to make sure that we're finding, again, the, the social, racial, economic, and environmental justice that we need to find in our community to prosper and go forward. Thanks again for all of your time. And again, thanks, uh, thanks for all of those who are taking part and um, watching this debate and making their decisions. Thank you, Mitch. Vicki, over to you. Yes, I have concerns. I have concerns that my opponent has proposed just in, in this debate alone, a sustainability person, a rental coordinator, a homeless person, uh, the city paying for a homeless shelter, that we add city staff to the streets. Um, and in other debates, he's also talked about universal broadband. There, appears to be an, an unlimited checkbook. And as I think about the 76-year-old Mary who opened her screen and said, this is the house that my family built in the 1960s. My number one expense is property taxes. And if property taxes continue to go up, I'm not going to be able to continue to live in my home. We don't have an unlimited checkbook here in the city property taxes are the number one thing I hear in the 2,200 voter doors that I have knocked on. It is the number one concern. It is the reason people are leaving La Crosse. We cannot provide all of these services that are being promised. We have to be accountable to the taxpayers. And so I've talked about the experience that I have brought into the conversations that we've had, the Outdoor Recreation Alliance, uh, historic tax credits. I've been doing this for 20 years, listening to the people of La Crosse, forming solutions and making our community better, not just through my job, but through many nonprofits that I have participated in. And I believe that is what makes me the most experienced leader for the city of La Crosse as mayor. Thank you, Vicki. That is our time for this debate. Thank you so much to Mitch Reynolds and Vicki Markison for participating. And thank you to the crew from WIZM for being part of this debate. Most of all, thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for joining us. We really appreciate it. This is an important election, and La Crosse will be better off if voter turnout is high. So on that note, remember that Election Day is April 6th, and that is just two weeks from today. For more information about voting in this election, please visit myvote.wi.gov. And for more information on the candidates for mayor of La Crosse, I encourage you to visit wizmnews.com slash mayor. For now, I'm Anthony Tregoski from the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. Thanks so much for watching, and good night.